welcome Simon as he comes and brings the message. Just give him a clap. Thank you, Bev. Good morning, everybody. Amazing to be here. Um, thanks for that intro. Nice to hear how the invite actually really happened. Uh, no, I did suspect something like that. And Tam has asked me to speak on Israel. Um, but first of all, I just want to really just encourage you guys. It's really amazing to be here. The atmosphere and the culture, you can feel it. And sometimes you become unaware of something when you're in it all the time. It's when you come from a different or you move into a different space, you realize, wow, this is nice or this is different. And I just really want to honor Tam and Bev uh, for what they're doing and, and how they're building. It takes guts to be a little bit different, hey? Um, also, just want to warn you, it's, when you do, when you do uh, I don't know, technology worship, it's kind of difficult to go back because it's probably the best musicians in the world that you're worshiping with. So do not judge your live worship when it, when it relaunches after the holidays. But just really want to honor you. It's amazing. Uh, men's camps, marriage retreats, I always, it always makes me feel guilty. We should do more of those. When I see the, the posts online, we're having another men's get-together. I think, oh, no, it's been about six years since we've done a men's get-together. Um, not quite, but not, not far from it. So I'm going to speak on Israel. Uh, I really want you to know that I'm not like an Israel fanatic. I'm not one of those, uh, well, I probably am, but I, I've done everything I can not to be that. And uh, to the extent that when Ches and I took over the leadership of our church, she told me I need to just frame it properly. We've been in our church for, I don't know, 23 years. I've been saved and I've been there for all of that time. Ches has been there for a bit longer. And, but we've led for seven years. And some of the commitments we made to ourselves when we took over was we're not going down the Israel path. And we're going to put the poor on the side for a moment just to regather ourselves. So seven years later, one of the two most kind of important building pillars in our church is Israel and the poor. So, so I'm telling you this because part of our journey has almost been involuntary. It's like we've not wanted to go down that road. We've seen how it works. We've seen where people go when they start to talk about Israel and get a bit fanatical. And so we did have that starting point, but the Lord had other plans for, our, I suppose, our church and our lives. And I must say, I would really not want to be anywhere else in the time that we live in. And I'll try and pack some of that. I'm still not an Israeli fanatic, but I am a Jesus fanatic. Amen. It's kind of reasonable. And, and as I've started to unpack, unpack and, and try, strive to understand the, really the meta-narrative of the Bible, which just means the whole Bible story that doesn't start at Matthew 1, it starts at Genesis 1, and it ends in Revelation 22. When you, when you get the full story, you, you kind of create a little bit of scope to include a few more dynamics than what we've always traditionally built on. I think it's important for us all to realize before we go into anything like this, is that we all have a paradigm, a schematic, a mental schematic, which which we received when we got saved. We, we got saved in a church for the most, most of us. That's where it happened. And we became part of a family and we were taught a certain way. We need to realize that our way, the flow that we were born into is not the flow, it's a flow. So flows come from, they're born out of denominations or different moves of God, all of them great in their time-specific uh, purposes. But all of them majoring on aspects of truth, not always the fullness of truth. 
And so we grow up valuing things that why doesn't the church down the road value what I value? Why don't they major on the things we major on? Because we were born into a particular schematic, a wineskin, a, a paradigm. And, and the, the paradigms are, or, or wineskins are not an issue, but we do need to realize that we interpret everything through our paradigm. We read it into, we read the word through our paradigm into our lives. This is how Jesus works, and he doesn't work any other way. So when you start to explore a wider a narrative for the Bible, you realize there's more to the story of God and humanity than what I was born into. I was born into a time and a flow. Now, these are important things because at a particular time, at every time in history, God has been doing something. So in that time, the majoring thoughts of theology and also church movement have been based around what God is doing in the moment. This is how the Holy Spirit uh, works. Amen. And then also the flow, which narrows down how we interpret, how we follow, even how we worship, how we practice our personal discipleship. So today I want you to just accept the idea that actually there's more to the story than, than what I've always understood. And this has been part of my journey. And in fact, Israel is quite central to the purpose of God on the earth. It might not have been central to the purpose of God in your life, but what we're going to see narrow down as time moves on until we reach the end is that the purpose of God in your life and His purpose on the earth in a broader scale is going to become closer and closer and closer and closer until we connect and see how He wraps all things up together. So a quick little bit of history. Um, like I said, Chess and I, we were not on an Israel track. We were, in fact, a little bit anti. We didn't want to go down that road. In 2017, we were in a healing evangelist service. It was Joel Ramsey. I don't know if any of you remember. Joel was here for a while. But he is a healing evangelist, young guy. And for the first time in many, many years, probably 25 years, I witnessed the power of God move in a, in a corporate gathering. And half of our church were lying on the floor, kind of having an encounter with God. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. And as we were worshiping in that environment, on that space, I, I had a vision. And just a vision, I closed my eyes and I saw something. And the vision was, was certainly not inspired by my own thoughts, because it's not where I was going or what I desired. But the vision was of an Israeli mud hut. How did I know it was Israeli? I don't know. It was my vision, and that's what my vision told me. It was this Jewish mud hut. It was a very modest um, dwelling, and there were children playing in the, in the doorway of the hut. And as I looked at this, it changed into a South African shanty shack. And it was a very dignified picture, but it was definitely both, both scenes were poor or, or modest in nature. Does that make sense? I... Uh, uh, I was so outside of an Israel flow, I completely dis disregarded that the first shack was, uh, the first little hut was, uh, was Israeli, and I just thought that we're experiencing healing, we need to take healing to the poor in the communities, and so we went out into the communities and we realized this is not working. We prayed for a few people, we came back so hopeless at the situation our nation was in that we never dared go to the poor communities again um, because it wasn't an encouraging experience. But God had put something in my schematic, my schema, that was able to serve as some kind of pivot that I couldn't move too far along. In 2018, we had this incredible experience. I can't get into it because of time. But we, we found ourselves representing the city and re holding a, a repentance ceremony in the, in the, at the RCC, in the basement of the RCC. The repentance for was, 
was, uh, was for something that happened in our city in 2001. We, Durban, hosted the anti-racism conference, conference. The UN hosted it. We were the venue hosts. And the conference became not anti-racism, but anti-Semitic. And out of that meeting, uh, all the participating nations, they formalized what is called the BDS movement, which is just in simple forms is an anti-Israel movement that's adopted by many nations across the globe. We realized this happened in our city, and the results of it was persecution to the Jewish families in our cities, in our city rather, and really a whole lot of negative spiritual uh, kind of results as a, as, uh, as a result, excuse me. And so we, we, we did this. I, I was dragged into this because I wasn't, like, once again, I wasn't fully into Israel, but I was seeing God was doing something, so I was pulled along by people in my church, although I was leading. And then in, in 2018, later that year, we thought that meeting was so powerful, but, you know, when you do something powerful, you're hoping for powerful results, and nothing really happened. But um, after that, I was reading Isaiah 49, months later, Isaiah 49 is like the centerpiece in my story with, with God, the nations, Israel. And as I read it, the whole story is about God's commitment to the people of Israel presently, but also towards the future. And as I read it, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, because you've stood for mine, I'm going to help you stand for yours. And he took me back to the original vision of the Israeli mud hut and the, and the shanty shack. And as you serve one, you're going to see change in the other. And the idea was, as you focus on Israel, I'm going to give you something special that's going to bring relief and healing to your own land. Amen. Anybody agree that we need some healing in our own land? Yeah. Are you living in the same country? I know things might be different up here, but I mean, I don't want to be disrespectful. But... Um, so, so there's this connection. I want to create the connection for us. Because if we're going to go down the road of Israel, we need to have a why. We need to, because we're not just taking on something to be special or different. We, there has to be some purpose in God linking uh, Gentile believers with Jewish believers in the times to come. So I'm going to speak on Israel. Tam's exact words were the Jew, to the Jew first. I'm going to force that into this story. Um, and so I want to start with Romans 1.16. Is everybody okay? So Romans 1.16 says this. Now remember, we have a paradigm. So sometimes when we read scriptures like this, we read, we read past or over certain points, and we don't major on them because we've got no space in them for our minds. But this is a, a good starting point. It says this from verse 16, or just one verse. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. All good news. But listen to this. First to the Jew. Then to the Gentile. So there's, there's, an, there's even an order in the gospel. Now even that, although we've just read it, could offend some people. Not that you read it, but when it came out of my mouth, it could be a little bit obstructive to your paradigm. But Paul says, and he's an apostle, so he's putting down some theological grid for us to build on. Not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. So, so there's some kind of favor, there's some kind of purpose that Israel's found in God's sight, and we really need to know what it is. We need to know why it's there. Um, and I really think before, we, before I move into this is, is if God has, was the one who engineered this favor to Israel, if God was the one who's made many promises to the people of Israel, and he has, he's, made, he's, they, he's given them the covenants, he's given them the promises, he's given them uh, the law, and through them he's given us, Jesus, we need to know that something is happening there. 
He's made covenants with them. It's important for us that he fulfills his covenants with them. Why? Because if he changes his mind with them, what gives us the security that he won't change his mind with us? If he's declared himself committed to a people, for us, we should believe, uh, I want to watch you fulfill your commitment to those people. Because as you do it to them, I grow in confidence that you're going to do it for me. Amen. Maybe not the same, but as you have promised to them, so you will fulfill your promise to me. It's important. But if we see him neglect and abandon the people he's committed himself to, then we stand in a precarious place in our faith. Either we're going to just be blasé or we're going to make big assumptions with no validation, or we're going to know that we're serving an absolute faithful God and he has a plan for them and for us. So a little bit of context. I told you about the meta-narrative of the biblical story, God's story with humanity. Amen? I say these words intentionally. It is God's story with the people of the earth. It's not my story. It's not a Methodist story. It's not an Anglican story. It's not a charismatic story. It's not a non-denominational story. It is God's story with the people on the earth. And so we need to be pulled into his story and, and be prepared to let go of our own story. Some of us will know our own human history. Started in the garden. Great beginning. You know, in the beginning, seven days of creation, day six was ours promises, mandates, be fruitful and multiply. But on, on, on Genesis 3, we, we understand the fall of man. Amen, it's the original sin. Essentially what the, the original sin was, is, was obviously disobedience. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve decided to do that. In their decision to sin, they were making another decision, and that was to decide for themselves autonomously from God, apart from God, what in fact was good and what in fact was evil. They were determining to move ahead without God in terms of decision-making as to what is right and what is wrong. And we know the history in that. It hasn't gone well. I mean, we're dealing with a whole lot of wrong rights, and, and, and we've lost the sense of rights. So, so that's the first rebellion. But actually, if you read the Bible story, it's like watching a movie. If you miss the first 10 minutes, you might as well not carry on because you're not going to get the punch of the end. So if we miss the beginning of our story, God and humanity, if we don't see what he's doing in the beginning, we're going to struggle to make sense of the end bits. And we're in the end bits right now, not just in terms of where we fit, but in terms of time. So the second rebellion, the fall of man, was we see in uh, Genesis 6. Genesis 6 is the story of the flood. The flood is a type of judgment, and uh, it's a response to the wickedness of men. And the high point of man's wickedness at that point was that there was this, I don't want to get into it because it is for another sermon, maybe a whole Bible college term, but, but it's, it, there was the rebellion manifested in, in this, the daughters of humanity were, were having children with the sons of God, which were really like spirits, were, were like uh, half men, half human. Let's not go into that, but that's what Genesis 6 says. And God was not happy to this, to, with that to the extent that he said, I actually regret making man. This is as bad as it can get. So he sent a flood and he wiped most of humanity out. We know this part of the story. The third rebellion was also a high point in almost an affront to the purpose of God for humanity on the earth. And we see it, we know the story of Babel. But we don't often realize how that fits in with the redemptive plan of God on the earth. The Tower of Babel is a story where once again humanity had got to a place of strength 
and they made a decision to build for themselves a city. I think it's going to come up, but because of time, I don't want to read it all. To build for themselves the city, and in the city, they were going to build a like, temple-like structure that goes all the way to the heaven. This is all Eden, Edenic language or Eden language. They built this tower, and, and the tower was going to be like an Eden, but have nothing to do with God because they were making it for themselves. They said, let's make a, this place for ourselves where we can be great. We'll make a name for ourselves. And God saw this. It was, a, it was a, almost an anti-God act, and it was a state of their hearts. And he said, we can't let this happen. So what did he do? They said, let's confuse them with different languages, and we're going to scatter them across the earth. We know this part of the story. So now humanity, which was in one place with one language, as a result of wickedness in their hearts, was scattered across the earth. And so we have the formation of many nations. Okay, scattered. Everybody's speaking, gathering to language. And so arriving at different places on the earth, I don't know if you've ever seen this, this was not God's original intent. It was not his plan, but he also couldn't carry on with the culmination, with the increase of wicked, the wickedness of men on the earth. He was still committed to humanity, but he had to find a way to redeem them. So what do you think his next step was? This is important. If you only get this, it reserves a place in your heart for these strange people called Israelites or Jews. The very next chapter after, after Genesis 11, we have Genesis 12. That's a little bit of a joke, but I didn't give it enough. I realized that. But Genesis 12 is the beginning of the redemptive plan for the nations that were scattered. This is the mercy of God. That even though he scattered them in their rebellion, the very next chapter that we read in the Bible, he decides to form a nation for a purpose to redeem humanity, the scattered nations of the earth. Very important to understand that. Because suddenly, in all of our minds, our schematic is stretched to realize that Israel has a purpose. And where did, where was, who was Israel born out of? They were born out of or from the life of Abraham. So Abraham was called out, and we're going to look at that just now. I don't want to get stuck there, but I just want us to agree that in the redemptive plan of God in time, Israel has a purpose. Amen. Let's move on. I want to go to Genesis, I mean, excuse me, New Testament, Romans 11. Let's just unpack a little bit of uh, New Testament theology that will help us understand Israel's place in God's heart. And also, it's spoken from Paul, the Apostle Paul, so it gives us a little bit of authority. Paul was an apostle. He laid down theology. Theology is a system through which we understand God, but also we relate to God. So, so, so if you understand grace, it gives you a, it's, it, grace is not just an idea, it's actually, it's presented as a theology. It wasn't just, it didn't just arrive, it actually, there was a systematic outworking of grace and then an invitation for us all to enter into it and through it. So this is the system through which we relate to God, amen. So when Paul unpacks Israel's place in a New Testament forever and eternal reality, he is laying down a system that is not just born out of nowhere because he's a Jew, but he's actually putting something in place, which he is calling very important for you and I. So this is what I feel is I'm jealous 
uh, of Tam and Bev because they're building something new here. It's, it's an awesome experience. That's why I say embrace what you're a part of because they are actually getting to build what God has put in their hearts, which we believe is from the Holy Spirit. And its outcome is going to be that, that conviction. It's going to be that picture. It's going to be that vision. Well, Paul is not representing himself in this vision. Actually, Paul is saying, I'm actually putting the burden of God in the word of God so that the people of God would carry even Israel like God carries Israel. So let's read it what, what Paul says about Israel and what they mean to us or what they might mean to us when Israel come to know Jesus. Some fun facts. In Israel, 30% of Israel are religious Jews. 30% of Jews in Israel are religious Jews. Only 5% of that 30% are believing Jews. There's 9 million Jews of, in Israel. There's 30,000 believing Jews in Israel. Before 1948 or 67, we were unsure whether there were even 1,000 believing Jews. So in the last 75 years, 30,000 Jews have come to know Jesus. This is all in time with God's redemptive plan on the earth, which includes the salvation of a whole nation called Israel. So, so Paul is encouraging us to what to expect when these strange people come to know Jesus. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make five points, I think, is what we can expect when this nation comes in. And then I'm going to try to finish up with there's a strange call that's way outside of the paradigm we were born into that says you have everything to do with the salvation of the nation of Israel. That's out there? Thank you, that's what I was looking for. So first of all, he promises greater blessing when Israel gets saved. He says this in Romans 11, 11. Again, I ask, did Israel stumble so far as to fall beyond recovery? Good question. Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to us. It's a big point. To make Israel envious. So somehow, our walking with Jesus is to provoke them to some kind of form of jealousy, to say, hey, there's something about you. I can't quite place it. You're a different religion, but still yours makes me jealous. But if their transgression means riches to the world, which it has, we're all sitting in the world, and their loss means riches to the Gentiles, that's us, how much greater riches will their full inclusion be? So what Paul is saying is, first of all, the wisdom of God is that, our faith should make a Jew envious. Now, now I, I want to say that it's probably almost impossible for that to happen unless I have some understanding of how I fit into their story and they fit into my story. And if I don't have any paradigm or, or, or idea of, of the significance of the Jewish people, then my life is certainly not going to make them jealous. But as I start to realize, actually, I'm a beneficiary of what started between them and God as his redemptive plan on earth to recover my life, I can start to celebrate something in a way that could look to a Jewess and say, Jew, say, I am not Jewish, but I love you, and we serve the same God. Amen. Second point is, so this is a greater blessing for us as the Jewish people get saved. So remember, Paul's question is, if their transgressions meant riches to the world, how much more, how much greater riches will their full inclusion be? So he's saying, anticipate further blessing as the Jew gets saved. How much greater will their inclusion be? Greater riches. 
should, we should desire the, the salvation of Israel. We should be saying, Lord, I, I want the fullness of the story. I want to know, I want to walk in authority. You know, when we were in Israel now, we met with a pastor. He's a, Fr- he's a French Jew. Most Jews are from another, well, all Jews are from another country. Did you, have you ever thought about that? Because there's the, the, Jew, the nation of Israel has only been a state recognized for 75 years. So most of them lived in an exiled state elsewhere. And when Israel was formed, they returned home. So Chinese Jews, French Jews, American Jews, Canadian Jews, African Jews, Ethiopian Jews, every kind of Jew, Polish Jews, they're all there gathered in the city or the nation of Israel. So this, so, so this pastor, we went to visit a pastor. He's a French Jew. And the, the, the revelation he spoke with, just in normal conversation, was astounding because he has grown up as a Jew, and the word has been his bread and butter from, from when he was a young age. And so when he came into Christ, everything in the word kind of came together, and his understanding was greater. So what Paul is saying is, hey, you want to know what's going to happen to the church as the Jew starts to get saved? Is the flow of revelation, understanding, and authority is going to increase exponentially to ordinary believers. Amen. So verse 15, Romans 11, verse 15, going through some, some blessings. Uh, so Paul is encouraging us to anticipate and desire the salvation of Israel because it's going to mean something to us. Anybody ever felt like in my faith I'm just not quite there? Only the three of you. Well, I'm a pastor, and to be honest, this is how I live, is I'm not quite there. Not quite cutting it, not quite knowing enough, not quite able enough. Uh, anybody? That's just the general walk. What Paul is actually saying, he has a, there's a massive missing piece to the body of Christ. And it's your brother the Jew. Once again, I know it's strange language because we don't have a paradigm for it. But Paul is saying, but, but you want to know what happens when they come in? It's this family steps into fullness. The second thing he says in a similar vein is he says, For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, that's to Christ, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? So now there's, there's, I can be, I can be animated, I can be kind of um, abstract about this point. He's definitely saying it will be better for us, but actually he's also saying it'll be life from the dead. Paul's quite a literal guy. I think what he's saying is when we say, when we see Israel's full salvation, meaning the nation of Israel are saved, is it's going to be it's going to culminate in the moment that Jesus comes back and and actually we're going to see the resurrection from the dead as Jesus returns. So three things will happen when Jesus returns: is He returns, people will see Him, the dead will be raised, and Israel will be saved. Quite an amazing thing, hey? This is why I think like if you want to be anywhere in the world when Jesus comes back, it's in Jerusalem. But get your timing right because just before He gets back, it's going to be terrible. But as He comes back, it's going to be glorious. It's a difficult decision to make. So we want to buy a flat there for the right time so we can fly in after the trouble comes. But what he's saying is, hey, hey, just, just think about how good it's going to be when even the dead come up out of their graves. I don't know. I don't want to scare anybody. But, but this is going to be one of the things that happens when Jesus returns is that the dead will, that will be raised from the dead. That's what happens when you're raised and you're dead. Uh, but, but the atmosphere, I just, just consider it, the atmosphere of glory when Jesus comes to earth. I have to get off the stage. I'm so sorry. 
we just got to think some of these things through because we read them in the Word and we leave them in the Word and we don't consider what, what it means. How glorious does the air have to be for a dead person to rise up out of their grave fully alive in a new body? How amazing is that moment? How incredible must that time be? This is what Paul's saying. I want you to know, anticipate the salvation of this nation because as you come into just the desire in your heart, what you're also doing is you're coming into a place where you're actually also desiring Jesus' return. This is another lack in the body. We don't necessarily uh, kind of, we're not eager for his return because we don't know enough about it. But what Paul's saying is, doesn't matter what you know about it, let me just tell you this, it's going to be better than your life today. So much better that even the dead who are beyond hope are going to live in glory. Amen. Come on. But we have to come alive to the stuff. So Paul's not just throwing out of these, these people. They're, they're obnoxious. They're difficult, to, they're difficult to relate to. In fact, they're superior in their religion. And he's, he's, don't even worry about this. He's got, think about Jesus. This is part of his plan. Amen. Taking so much time on the wrong things. <laughs> so, so, so same chapter, he's, he's like unpacking, blessing, 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 warning. Blessing, 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 warning. He says, hey, get the context right. Have the right attitude in this, because the right attitude in this is paramount. So he goes on, Romans 11, 17, and 18, just two verses. He says, if some, if some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing sap of the original uh, olive root, do not consider yourselves to be superior to those other branches. It's, once again, we don't have the paradigm, we read past it, and we don't realize it's a massive statement that's been made here. He's using the language grafted in. So first of all, what he's saying is, we have been brought into something that predates even Jesus on the earth. Now I know, I know, because that kind of language sounds like this guy's off now. I just want you to know that Jesus existed before he lived on the earth. Amen. So just because something was happened before he walked on the earth, he was always involved in everything that happened on the earth. So what Paul's saying is actually something was going on with God and the Jewish people before you got saved. And the kindness of God as he starts to execute his redemptive plan for all of humanity and those scattered nations by bringing us into the story of God and humanity, grafting us into the story that he started with Abraham. He's saying it's amazing. But grafted in language is also careful language because grafted in anybody, a horticulturalist. That's probably the first time I've ever pronounced that properly. Anybody here? Good, so I can speak freely. So, so when you graft a plant into another plant, it's a delicate process. It's not like the, 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 the what does he call it, the unnatural plant just, oh, I'm just going to slot in here and let's get on with it. Throw me some water. It's a careful process of caring and pruning and looking after and feeding so that the foreign branch, the unnatural branch, lives. So Paul is actually saying, you know, the conditions for life 
in the foreign branch is to have the right attitude of humility to know that, thank you, Jesus, I have been pulled into the redemptive plan of God and humanity, and I have to accept, even though no one's ever told me, that this story didn't start with us. It started with Abraham, and then Isaac, and then Jacob, and then Israel, and then from Israel came Jesus. That was always the plan. He calls Israel a kingdom of priests. And even though they messed it up, he made a covenant with them. He made a covenant with them. This is unilateral covenant. It's interesting. The way he made that covenant was he put Abraham into a sleep. It's like, that's the best kind of covenant you can ever make. It's basically, he was saying, I'm going to cut it and I'm going to perform the covenant. And you're never actually going to be able to live up to it. But my promises within it are going to be faithful and true. Two covenants he made with, with Israel was the Mosaic covenant, which was the giving of the law, and the Abrahamic covenant. The Mosaic covenant was broken, and it fell away. The Abrahamic covenant is eternal, and it still stands today. I'm going to show you in a moment how it is standing. But we were grafted, and I'm going to make one more point. Go and read Romans 11, uh, because it's just, once you have the mind for it, it's an incredible piece or passage of Scripture that will speak to your life in a new way. The last thing I want to say, which is difficult for me to make it the last, but it says that, once again, speaking to the attitude of, the, of us Gentile believers, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant. Don't you think that's like, okay, well, that's good. I'm glad I heard that. Like, I don't want you to be ignorant. What's ignorant? Ignorance is not arrogant. But because we're ignorant, we can become arrogant. Because I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a partial hardening until the full number of Gentiles comes in, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. You see how he's working with both groups? And both are in his purview. It's like, I'm working with the Gentiles. There's, there's like 2 billion believer, Gentile believers on the earth, and there's 30,000 Jewish believers. I'm working on them, but, but there's a number. There's a, there's a number, and, and, and when we hit that number, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shift my focus, and it's going to be on, on my people. And, and in this season, they're going to get saved. So don't be arrogant. Arrogant means, oh, they didn't choose, and we did choose. Well, Paul says, know this. Their hearts have been hardened for a purpose. And actually, they're going to be part of the revealing of my glory on the earth when I return. Amen. I mean, there's another piece of scripture here that just says, like, sorry for you, I love them. I love them on account of the patriarchs. I love them on account of what started with Abraham. I love them, I love them, I love them. Because some of us will say, yeah, but. He's going to say, yeah, I love them, I made a covenant. Yeah, but. No, 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 I love them. I'm a faithful God and I'm true to my word. I'm not a man that I should lie. So I will fulfill the covenant. I made it on my own and I'll fulfill it on my own. And they are the recipients of my redemptive mercy even towards you. Because they're part of the redemptive plan of God on the earth for all humanity. Now, I, I want to... I don't have time to do this, but I'm going to just squeeze it in here because it's so important because there has to be purpose in this. I promise you, I, I move in and out of the passion for this because it's not in my face every day. And so, you know, and I'm human and I have my own journey and, and sometimes I'm like on fire and hot for the Lord and sometimes you won't believe it, I'm not. And so I move, my proximity in terms of passion moves 
but, but if there's a purpose connected to it, I can connect myself to the purpose and stay close to the story of God. And right now, in my heart, I, I want to be part of God's story on the earth more than I want to be part of even God's story in my church. And I just want you to just, I love my church, it's not changing anything, but, but I want my, our church to do a U-turn and to say, Lord, how do we serve the broad and grand purposes of God in this, this, this I want to say this, <laughs> this may be one of the last few seasons as we know it. You know, if anyone's scared of end time language, I'll just tell you what I believe very quickly. It's in 30 seconds. I do believe, I think there's going to be a millennial reign, which, which just means that even when Jesus comes out, we still got another thousand years of just an unbelievable better. So don't be scared of it. Desire it. This is why, because we don't know a lot, we don't actually desire uh, the, the return of Jesus. But Jesus says the mature, the cry of the mature church will be, come Lord. Amen. So as we move and we grow in our own maturity and faith, what will come with our maturity is a desire, Jesus, I want to see you. Jesus, I want to see you. And sometimes that's quickened by even the signs on the earth, this, this the hardship and the difficulty of what it is to live today. I want to just um, race through something. Genesis 12 is the call of Abraham. It's the beginning of the redemptive story of humanity. There's a reciprocal process and and a participation in this original blessing he says i want you to go leave your country leave your people and go to a place that i'll show you verse two i'll make you into a great nation this is not just think we we get to look back abraham had to look forward to nothing we get to look back to see what has been performed out of this blessing and this covenant promise i want to make you into a great nation abraham abram at that time i'm going to bless you I will, uh, I will, excuse me, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And all the people, the nations on the earth will be blessed through you. Now we can see that has already happened because through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel, how were the nations blessed? Jesus. Because Jesus was an Israelite. I know it's tough. It's just tough for a, a, a modern-day Christian to accept. Jesus was a Jew. He was born physical Jew. He was born in a Jewish family. He lived as a Jew. His life fulfilled the law. He, he's as Jewish as he can get. In fact, I thought it would be helpful to tell, show you this um, as I close just now. Um, this, this, it's not even the full. This chunk, I've got, I've got Genesis 12 to Acts 10. This is exclusively about the interactions between God and Israel. That's your Bible. I just want you to know that. Just a little bit of context helps. Helps find the humility of a grafted-in believer. And then the rest of it was written by Jews. So we could really just say that. And the only reason we can't say that these 11 chapters were written by Jews is because there was only one people on the earth by then. But they basically have exclusive rights to the authorship of this whole book, which we, prescribe, we subscribe to. They're important in God's story. 
So, so we've, we've received the blessing through Jesus, but there's reciprocation in this. So he says, I'm going to bless those who bless you, and I'm going to curse those who curse you. And I want to just play with that for a while. In my journey, uh, I ha- I'm going to go to one part in, in, um, in Isaiah 49. You know when, I, when I'm out of time, and I'm speaking like this, and I say, I'm just going to do one thing. I'm actually doing it for my wife. Because I feel the most pressure coming from her about, you're done. Get over it. Finish. So, so I'm going to do that, babe. Thank you for your patience. Um, Isaiah 49 is an amazing passage. It's obviously prophecy. It, the prophecy is about the restoration of Israel. God's promise, his ultimate promise to these people who have suffered so much Uh, devastation for most of their existence, but he shows himself faithful and he promises that he's going to fulfill everything that he said. He says, I'm going to make you, he's speaking to the land, I'm going to make you a covenant for the people. I'm going to fulfill it. I'm going to, he says there's going to be times where you're going to look, he's he's talking to the land. Now the land can't talk, but but he's painting a picture of how it's going to be and how it's going to change. And he says, you're going to say, there's, God, you've forgotten us. You're going to say that you're desolate and you're barren and you can't even produce the sun. But then he goes on and he says this, Isaiah 49, 19, he says, though you were ruined and made desolate, just think about this now, we've got history on our side. So much has happened since in the last 75 years. Israel are like a timepiece. They, they tell us that God is at work right now on this covenant. They tell us that actually God's moving on the earth when he moves with Israel. It's not just that he's doing something with a couple of Jews in, in this, the nation of Israel. Actually, it means that he's fulfilling prophecy, and prophecy moves towards an end. Does that make sense? Isaiah 4, Israel are like a timepiece. Prophecy is a timepiece. One third of Old Testament prophecy has been fulfilled. That means in the short space of time we have left, Two-thirds of Old Testament prophecy is still to be fulfilled. It's quite exciting. We're living in that day. So he says to them, look, there's going to be times where the land is going to be desolate. It's going to be laid waste. Now you will be too small. But, but then the land's going to be too small for the people. And those who devoured it, your enemies will be far away. The children born during your bereavement will yet say in your hearing, this place is too small for us. Give us more space to live in. Then you will say, I just want to kind of build something for you here. So, so Israel in the middle of this, 75 years ago, no, no land, no states. Just, there wasn't a place called Israel. So there were very few Jews there, if any Jews there. But now there are 9 million Jews in a place that, where, where there were no Jews. But he's saying, actually, in the last days, I'm gonna, there's a call for all Jews to come back. We can't go through it, but it's in the Bible. It's part of their salvation or restoration. But actually, you're going to get to a stage where a sign of my faithfulness is the, the Jew is going to say, there's no space for us. Where are we going to live? How can we all fit in this place? They're also gonna, the land's also going to say, where did these people come from? For most of our existence, we've been, I've been barren. Uh, he's going to say, who bore me these sons? Who bore me these sons in my bereavement? Uh, are you picking this up? I mean, I'm racing now, but... He, who bore me these? I was bereaved and barren. I was exiled, rejected. Who brought these sons up? I was left all alone. But these, where have they come from? So 
It's this picture of amazement. We weren't, but now we are. We were nothing, but now suddenly we're something. You've done something in a short space of time that has given us identity, but also reborn the promise of the restoration and the salvation of a nation. So, so this is amazing, because I'm not doing a good job, but it's the fulfillment of prophecy, which we get to look back on, that most Jews will not, not even identify yet, to say a lot of this has been fulfilled in the last 75 years, more so in the last 60 years. We're living in the age of the fulfillment of prophecy. Then God says this, he says, you haven't seen anything yet. See, I'm going to beckon the nations. Now, just remember the, remember the redemptive plan of God to regather the nations, the scattered nations of Genesis 11. I don't know if you remember that, but I just spoke about it. Just preach in the same sermon. Uh, scatter the nations with the desire to redeem and recover. Amen. So, so, so now, Isaiah is prophesying beyond Jesus in a time pre-Christ, and he's saying, watch, I'm going to beckon the nations, wicked and unclean, but saved and made righteous then, and they are going to, excuse me, I'm going to lift a banner to the peoples, and they're going to bring your sons in their arms, and they're going to carry your daughters on their hips and carry you back to the land. Their kings will be your foster fathers, and your mothers, their, 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 excuse me, and their queens will be your nursing mothers. So, so stop, because this is our purpose. I know that we, we're tired, and, and I'm going to lose you in a moment. But he, he's saying, actually, you know what? I'm going to switch it. And they're going to become, you've blessed them with Jesus. They're going to bless you with Jesus. And I'm going to stir their hearts up like me. I, nothing, I wanted nothing to do with these people. And now I want to be in the land so that we can foster, that we can take new believing Jews and we can foster them like parents and raise them up in the infancy of their faith so that we can be part of the fulfillment of God's plan on the earth. And he says they're going to bow down with their faces to the ground and they're going to lick the dust off your feet. I know that I'm inspiring somebody out there right now. Then you will know that the Lord your God... Um, is your, is your God. So, so, so what, what, what uh, Isaiah is doing is taking us all back to Genesis 12, the blessing. I will bless those who bless you. The word blessing there is to actually bend down with the intention to meaningfully serve an impact. So Isaiah is saying, I'm going to stir something up in, in, in South African believers' hearts that's going to cause them from nowhere to have a love for God's people to the point that they're going to want to serve you back to Jesus. And this is where the phrase comes, the first Israel will be last, the Gentile, but the last will be first. Does that make sense? I said that right? The first will be last and the last will be first. Is Israel the first will be last? Is Israel who were the first or actually the last to find Jesus? So I was, I'm going to just, just for your security, I'm going to close this, this finish now. When I, when I, uh, we did a, like a little con in-house conference a few months back, and, and I was wrestling with this. Because it was really just a collection of scriptures as I'm going to retell somebody. They can go read it for themselves. And I was saying, Lord, what is the word here? And I went back to the, what he showed me was that actually the Abrahamic covenant is active right now. It's, 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 out, it's unfolding. We're midway through the covenant. Because in the covenant is the promise of the land. So remember, if God covenants the land... He covenants the land. So geopolitical, 
If God covenants a land, he covenants a land. That's it. We need to know in the fulfillment of promise, no one loses if we're in co cooperation with God. So we don't have to worry for those who, who might feel displaced. In the fulfillment of promise, God in his fullness is able to satisfy everybody's needs. But he has covenanted land. And 80 years ago, we would have thought, well, there's not even an Israel, so how can there be a land? 80 years later, we can say, there's a land, there's a state, there's a government, there's a people, and they're returning by the droves, 20,000 to 30,000 a year. The fulfillment of this covenant, is, it's active, it's working. But if it's active, then we have to also go back to the Genesis 12 and realize that in that promise, there was the, those who bless you will be blessed, but those who curse you will be cursed. And I think about South Africa. I think about our own city and the history we have with Jewish people. We were actually ostracized and a degree of persecution was offset, not just in our city, but also from our city into the nations towards the Jewish people. Am I making sense? So we have... We have, a, we have an opportunity to activate something because our nation has made it clear that we are not for the Jew. We're not for Israel. We're, 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 uh, we're in fact, if anything, we are, we are anti-Israel. Am, am I a little bit of agreement? Read. Yeah. So we don't want to be in this place as a nation because there's a promise that there are promises that are being fulfilled but on both sides of the covenant, there is a negative and there's a positive. And our nation right now, I feel, falls into the negative of it. And so I really believe that God gave me this word is tip the scales. Lying in bed one night, really stressed about my word, and I felt him say, tip the scales. And, and I realized what he was saying is, how much do we have to serve or bless Israel to tip us for, as a nation from, from excuse my language, just, this is a Simon, I'm on the edge, um, but from a cursed position to a blessed position. How do we as the church move us, move the dial from cursed to blessed? How do we move into the blessing of God as a nation? And are we going to wait for a government to move us into blessing? Are we going to wait? We're crazy to wait. It'd be the most foolish thing. We can as the body of believers who understand that we're grafted in and we've re received riches as followers of Jesus through the Jewish people. We can as a body of believers say, covenant is active. I want to find myself on the right side of that covenant. And so we're going to be blessers of Israel. Amen. And how do we do that? We grow in our understanding. We grow in relationship with Jewish people, make them envious with what we've got with Jesus in a very polite, non-arrogant way. And we figure out ways and how do we partner in the, the story of God on the earth, his story between uh, God and humanity. Let's pray. Excuse me. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that we live in a time where these things are happening, that covenant activity is, is working itself out in the nations and certainly in the nation of Israel as we speak. And so I pray today, if nothing else, that you would plant a seed of understanding, desire in our hearts to know more, to step into more. And whatever it was on, on Tam's heart, whatever you put there, I pray that that thought, that desire has been planted and you would cause many in this place to rise up, to come into strength, and to have a clarity of mind, not, not, not the fullness of understanding, but a clarity of mind that you're at work, and the work on, your work on the earth includes both these groups, the Jew and the Gentile believer. And in that marriage and that coming together, there is a degree of blessing and riches and fullness that we will not access without uh, the unity. In Jesus' name, amen.